All right, it's my privilege to be with you today. Had a good time in the Sunday school hour. And I do want to mention just a few of the resources we have on the back table. Before I jump into the messenger, I'll forget. Um, again, I mentioned in Sunday school, one of the jobs of an evangelist is to be a help to the church in any way he can. And I do that by resources as well. And I know we live in a day and age where everything's digital and uh, people do not read today. You say, well, I read. No, you scroll. <laughs> you don't read. You scroll. Uh, you need to read. And my father taught me a long time ago to read and to enjoy reading. And I love to read. In fact, my wife gets on me because uh, we have a headboard behind the headboard. Uh, she has a little space and I have a little space. And it holds different things. Mine holds books and other protective items. Um, <laughs> magazines and different things. No. Uh, we do have our own, each have our own firearm by the bed. Uh, she came along, she was from Michigan, so I had to teach her a lot. You know, she wasn't from West Virginia. So she said, you go away, and I never have a gun to protect myself. I said, you want your own gun, honey? I'm bringing you along, you're getting it. She goes, I want a one that holds a lot. I said, okay, so mine holds seven rounds, and she has, let's see, 17, and then another, so she has 34 rounds uh, by her headboard. And, uh, and I'm not really worried about my wife, because my wife would shoot someone for just waking her up. Some people, some people defend their home because they broke in there doing bodily harm. My wife would shoot you because you woke her up, just because. Uh, she's a sound sleeper. She hates to be woke up. So anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Anyway, uh, we were dealing with, with reading, though, and I read a lot. I usually read myself to sleep every night. Uh, my wife doesn't, but I, I tend to. And uh, I challenge you in this to get a hunger for the things of God, not only to read the Word of God, but to read helps that will help you out. And my father taught me a long time ago, two things will change your life other than your walk with Christ, and that is the people you meet and the books you read. They will influence you. And so we have some resources on the back table. Some of them are for teachers. Uh, some of them are for instruction for each individual person. I want to just give you a couple. I'm going to mention real quick. I won't take too much time. Um, but this is something that's been on our heart for a long time, my father and I. We finally finished it this last fall. Uh, but it is a new converts program for children. And uh, we've worked a long time on this, and we really boiled it down. It's very, very small. Uh, we, we boiled everything out of it. I didn't want something this thick. I wanted it to where it was meat and potatoes. Uh, but uh, nowadays, if a child, young person comes to Christ, they accept Jesus as their Savior, praise the Lord for that, maybe they get baptized. After that, that's it. Nothing else is done. And uh, I think we, need to, we have a responsibility to put kids through a new converts program, and to teach them why we give, why we come to church, why we read our Bible, why we pray. We take everything for granted. Uh, you may think about a six-year-old boy. He accepts Jesus as a Savior. All of a sudden, they stick him in junior church, and all of a sudden, they pass the plate, and the kid thinks, is God poor? What, what are we doing here? You know, he, has, he has no concept, no idea why. We say, well, everyone knows. How do you know? They don't know why. So they need to be explained. That to be explained to them. So this is basically a four-week program. We dealt with the word grow, G-R-O-W. One is getting started right. And that's um, assurance and baptism. That's taught the first week. Then the letter R is relationship. That's with the Lord. That's reading. That's Bible reading and prayer. Uh, o stands for our new family, church attendance and giving. And then W stands for witnessing. And we do a review. So we've already started this in our church. And it's a four-week discipleship program. And so the young person accepts Christ. They're put through this class. On, on week five, they've graduated out of that. They come before the church. And they're welcomed into the church. They're given a certificate of graduation. They're given their own Bible with their name on it. They're given a goodie bag, that type of thing. And at least it gives them a minimal investment into their life to ground them in the things that they should know. And so we have a, a booklet here that goes with that. There's a, a CD that has a lot of information. And then also, uh, this is for the teacher. 
and then this is the, the flashcard uh, that the, the teacher actually uses with the young people to actually show pictures of what baptism is and all that type of thing. So we're excited about that and helping churches in that. This is another uh, thing we just came up with this last fall, and this is my first junior church series. It is an eight-week series, and I always, when I teach children in church, I always teach in series. I never jump on faith or obedience or honesty. I tend to, I tend to deal with a series and build them each week for a certain series. And this is an eight-week series on superhero children of the Bible. We took eight children in the Bible that became superheroes for God. And I want to show young people today, you do not have to wait till you're an adult to become a superhero for God. You can be a superhero now. And so, um, and this is really a special, uh, a special production for me because um, the, the picture on the front is a really neat picture. I'll show it to you. It's basically a young boy. He's dropped a pair of shoes. He's in a sock feet. And he's reaching for a pair of boots that say hero on there. So he's reaching, he's making the choice to be a hero. And, and the focus is not on him looking at the boots. The focus is on him looking at the cross. He's not wanting to be a hero to be a hero. He's wanting to be a hero for Christ. But the, the, what I like about this picture is the fellow that painted this for me, I led to Christ 14 years ago. And uh, he was willing to do this for me. So when I look at that, I'm reminded of what God can take talents that he can use for his honor and glory and use that. So if you're interested in something like that for Children's Church, and I'm, I'm wanting to produce more and more of this because there's a good bit of Sunday school material out there, but there's not much on Children's Church. Curriculum-wise, there's just hardly anything out there on that. So uh, we're working hard to, to produce that as we have time, which we don't have much. Um, here's another thing. It's his uh, Bible Stories for Kids, and uh, Byron Fox puts this out, Bible Truth Music, and he just came up with uh, Bible Stories for Kids or audio CDs that you can pop in and, and let kids listen to. And there's two stories on each one. He just came out with a second one. And the first one is Joseph, a man of forgiveness, and Jesus, a Savior, is born. And he hired professional actors to actually do all the sound effects and everything. It's really, really good. Well done. Very well done. So maybe something for your kids or put in a stocking or something. Um, I have mentioned these to churches before. Uh, this is, these are powerful books, both of them, especially if you have teenage boys and girls uh, that are reaching uh, teenage um, years. One is called Biblical Masculinity, and one is called Biblical Femininity. We live in a day and age in which our young men are becoming effeminate, and our young women are becoming masculine. It's backwards. Um, and this is bringing masculinity, transitioning young men from boyhood to manhood. And this is transitioning girls into young ladies. Tremendous booklet. So they're very, very small. Brother Jerry Ross is a tremendous speaker. He doesn't give a lot of frills. He gives you a point and you think, huh, I wonder about that. And then he gives you 13 verses and you go, he's right. He just backed it up with scripture. It's just very, very powerful. It is needed today. Uh, this right here is needed for every young man. He deals with the five giants every young man is going to face. Pornography is one of them. Listen to me, young men. If you don't kill that giant, the next one's bigger. Trust me. Uh, same thing with femininity. I read this book before I gave it to my daughter. I was highly impressed with it. We have young ladies today. I believe they're saved, but they spend their whole teenage years chasing young men. He said, listen, a young lady should not chase after a young man. The only woman that pursues a man in the Bible is the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. Let that sink in. What a young lady should do is prepare herself for the young man God will bring to her. You see what I mean? I don't go after a husband. How do I get one? You don't think God's good enough to bring you one? By the way, I'd rather have God's choice than mine. Because uh, beauty is only skin deep. Amen. Amen. Listen, I, I can tell you some stories, but I won't. Okay? I'll leave it alone. Two more real quick. Let me mention real fast. Uh, and this is also written by Brother Jerry Ross. This is The Teenage Years of Jesus Christ. A great book. A great book if you're a teenager on the ultimate pattern for teenagers today. I'll be honest with you. When I first saw this book on someone's table, I picked it up to read it not because I was spiritual, but because I thought teenage years of Jesus. There aren't anything on the teenage years of Jesus. 
Where's he getting this material? So that's why I read the book. Uh, it's powerful. Wow, it is powerful. And then he came up with this from the childhood years of Jesus Christ, instilling the six attributes of the Christ child into today's children. Isn't that needed? Yes or no? Yes, big time. I challenge in them if they can help you in any way. I encourage you uh, to put those resources into your lives. Let's take our Bibles quickly. Turn to the book of John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. I'm going to move very quickly this morning. I don't want to keep you past 3 o'clock. Only three people left because they're used to their pastor. He can tell you our grandfather did not care about the clock at all. He always looked at it. We always wondered, why is he looking at the clock? He's not following it. My grandfather would finish a message and think, yeah, I'm going to go over to Acts and preach that one too while I'm here. He'd preach two back to back just because he loved to preach. He didn't care about time or anything else, but I will be cognizant of the time. John chapter number 12. We're going to read one verse, and then once you get John 12, take your Bibles to Luke 19. John chapter 12 and Luke chapter 19. Once we get into Luke, we'll stay there the rest of the message. This is, again, where I believe the Lord would have us today. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I hope you'll listen carefully today. It is a Sunday morning. I try to give the gospel on Sunday morning. You say, oh, preacher, I'm already saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I've been saved 40 years. Good. It shouldn't be old to you. If it is, you have a problem. Please visit the altar by the end of the service. I'm being honest. Whenever a person says on the gospel again, I've heard it. If you get tired of hearing the gospel, you have a major problem in your life. A major, major spiritual problem. If you get over the fact that God was willing to sacrifice His Son for you, and you've come to the place where you think you halfway deserved it, you have a problem. You have a problem. We need to be humbled in that. I was reading the book of John, and I I read the Bible a little bit different than some people. Um, We're all individuals, and praise God for that. I can't imagine a world full of people like me. It'd be rough. Um, But I tend to read through the Bible every year, and I also tend to read a psalm or a proverb each day. And then I usually will get stuck on a book. I say stuck or hung on a book, and I will exhaust that book. And then usually I'll move to another book, and I may read that book twice. I may read that book ten times. But that's how I study the Word of God. That's how the Lord directs me uh, to different epistles or different books, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. I was reading the Gospel of John. I was reading the Gospel of Luke at the same time. And a word jumped off the page in both passages on the same day, and that's where this message came from. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not, what's the next word? Abide in darkness. I want to read it again. John chapter 12, verse 46. The Bible says, I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now look at Luke chapter 19. This is a familiar passage of scripture if you've been saved any length of time. This is the story of Zacchaeus. This is uh, the chapter right after the song that she sang this morning. Very beautifully done, by the way. The chapter before, we deal with blind Bartimaeus. This is Luke chapter 19. This is the story of Zacchaeus. How many knows the story of Zacchaeus? I love reading stories that I already know. I love allowing the Lord to open something up I hadn't seen before and bring to light something. And so I want to read this passage, then we'll pray and jump right into the message. Luke chapter 19, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. 
When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day of salvation come to this house for as much, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, the famous verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, I pray that you'll bless our time together in the next few moments. Thank you for your people faithful in their place. Lord, coming to worship you today. Thank you, Lord, for being God. Thank you that there's no one like you. Thank you for salvation. Father, most of all, I pray this morning, maybe there's someone here visiting. Maybe there's someone that's been coming for a while. Lord, maybe there's someone here that wrestling in their spirit. Lord, they're not a Christian. They're not sure they're saved. God, I pray this would be the day they settle that. For those of us that are saved, we're on our way to heaven. We know there was a time and a place we accepted you. Made the story not grow old. May we be grateful the day you touched us. May we be thankful today. Lord, work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two types of people in this room this morning. You say saved and lost. I said you're correct. Yes. You may have thought I was going to say man and woman. No. Conservative and liberal. No. Democrat and Republican. No. Rich and poor. No. There are those abiding in darkness and those abiding in light. If you're here today and you're in darkness, you're not in the light. I want you to understand something. There was a day when every person in this room was also in darkness. We're not born in the light. Every person in this room had to choose to step into the light one day. You had to choose Christ. Choose Christ. But there's only two types in the room. I do praise the Lord for the day he saved us who are lost and brought us from darkness to light. And this is a true recorded account in the scriptures of a man who goes from eternal spiritual darkness to eternal spiritual light. He goes from being lost to being saved. I was reading in John and I came to that passage that Christ came into the world as a light that anyone that believes in him, whosoever, doesn't matter, should not abide in darkness. And then I came to Luke and I saw that word when he talks to Zacchaeus. He said, listen, I'm come. Today I must abide at your house. It got me to thinking that's where the message came from. I want to consider three things this morning. I'll move quickly. Number one, I want to consider, first of all, the city Jericho. The city Jericho. Everything in the Word of God is there for a reason. You may not realize that, but every word is there for a reason. Every word. Every word. If you notice in verse number one that Jesus is speaking and in he goes through and talks about where, where he's at, what he's doing, and it tells us where he is. And it specifically tells us. That's not accidental. And so I, I paused when I came to this passage of Scripture, and I began to read this, and I began to study this. It says, verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I want to pause there. Jesus is telling us where he is. Well, there's a reason for that. If you took the time to study the book of Luke, and the book of Luke, Luke was a physician. He writes like a physician does. He presents the manhood of Jesus. He calls him the son of man. That's what Luke deals with. John deals with the son of God. He deals with the deity of Christ. But if you study this chapter, and you go right after this chapter, they have the triumphal entry of Christ, and then soon Jesus is going to come to the crucifixion. That's what's coming next. By the way, Jesus knows what's coming next. How would you like to know what's going to happen tomorrow? Oftentimes we say we wish we would. I'm glad we don't. I don't want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've heard people say, I wish the Lord would just pull back the veil and let me see the spiritual realm. Not me. I don't want to see the devil and the demons. I'm glad it is the way it is. 
But Jesus is soon on his way to the cross. And in the chapter before, he just healed and saved blind Bartimaeus in Jerusalem. And he's now traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when I thought about that, it dawned on me, wait a minute, I know this stretch of road. The stretch of road between Jerusalem and Jericho, first of all, was a very unsafe place. It was a stretch of road you didn't want to go down. So I thought to myself, why would Jesus go this way? Don't he know where he is? Now, I was raised in Baltimore, and uh, we moved out of Baltimore in 2003. Um, how many has been to Baltimore before? That's a fun place, isn't it? And uh, there are places in Baltimore that are unsafe. I can take you to places that you don't travel at night, or during the day for that matter, Right? <laughs> You don't belong there. It's not good. It's unsafe. Preacher, what do you mean it was unsafe? The highway between Jerusalem and Jericho was not a safe stretch of road. Not a safe stretch of road. Uh, Not only was it an unsafe place, it was an evil place. What do you mean, preacher? What do you mean evil? It was a place largely populated by Roman tax gatherers and priests. So a religious place, but not spiritual. You say, what do you mean religious but not spiritual? You do realize religion was man-made. That's the problem with the world today. They have religion instead of a relationship with Christ. Religion was man-invented. That's why you have all different names and all different kind of church buildings everywhere, and people wonder which one's right. They don't have a relationship with Christ. Religion will send you to hell. A relationship with Christ sends you to heaven. There's a difference. But this place was an evil place. It was a place largely populated by Roman tax gatherers and priests. Uh, you remember the parable in the Bible of the Good Samaritan? You remember that parable? The man that was going down the road, he was jumped by thieves, he was robbed, he was beaten, he was thrown into a ditch. They left him for dead, they took his income, took his money, and they thought he was going to die. You remember the parable? Uh, First, there was two people that passed by, a Levite and a priest, remember? And then the Samaritans, the one that actually stopped and helped, the Samaritan usually didn't have dealings with them, but that's the the whole story, that's what it was about. But it dawned on me when I thought about this, guess what stretch of road that was? Same stretch of road, same area. Which makes me think, because I tend to think this way, this man gets jumped. How come the Levite didn't get jumped? How come the priest didn't get jumped? It's almost like they knew something. You know what I mean? Almost like they knew something. So listen, this place was an evil place. Why would Jesus go through the city? Why couldn't he go around it? Not only was it an unsafe place, it was an evil place, it was a cursed place. If you took the time to study Jericho, Jericho was built upon a curse. Remember Joshua and the children of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. And what happened to them? It was built upon a curse. In other words, no one retired and moved to Jericho. Kind of like Baltimore. No one retires and moves to Baltimore. They move out, but they don't move in. It's just true. No one says, let's go there. No, they just don't. Okay. Uh, Jericho was a city cursed from of old. It was built upon a curse. Yet we find Christ here honoring it with his presence. Why? I love this because the gospel always takes away the curse. Always. But the only incident recorded here in the scriptures is this of Zacchaeus. That's it. In other words, the only reason Jesus went through it instead of around it was to find this one man. I'm here to tell you today, if you're here and you're one of those people that are in the darkness, you've never stepped in the light and you're here and you're lost today, you may be the only person in this room that is lost. Did you know Jesus came for you? You say, what if I was the only one? Even for one. He came for you. Let's look at this story of Zacchaeus. So the city of Jericho. Number two, the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Let's look at him. The Bible tells us some things about him. Verse two. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, 
and he was rich. First of all, the Bible tells us his name, Zacchaeus. It is a Jewish name. So he is a Jew, by the way. We also know he's a Jew because if you drop down uh, later in the verse, verses, when you get to verse number 9, it says, For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. So he was the seed of Abraham. He was a Jew. Okay? So it tells us his name. It tells us his calling or his post. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. Now, uh, do you think tax collectors were popular in those days? No. Was he well thought of? No. He was respected. He held a position of authority, but no one cared for him. And that's why he preferred it. It takes a special kind of person to be that individual. Now, I live not that far from here. I live in Morgan County, okay, West Virginia. I'm actually triangulated between Berkeley Springs, Winchester, Virginia, and Martinsburg. So I'm triangulated near Sleepy Creek. That's where I live. We have a fellow in our county. He drives through, and he moves very fast. He has a little sign on his car. It's about this big. It says, Tax Assessor. He moves very, very quickly. He used to have a big sign. He scaled down because I think some things were happening to his vehicle. Uh, Anyway. Whenever he comes through, he has a job to do. What's his job? Assess taxes. People don't like seeing him coming because when you put anything new on the property, guess what? Cha-ching! Right? I have a large weathering, a bird weathering behind my house. It's probably 30 by 50 by 20. And uh, it's 16 telephone poles with netting, got birds inside and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm a weird person. Anyway, uh, but every time he sees it, he always asks me, what kind of roof are you putting on that? And I've told him year after year, I'm not putting a roof on it. It's just netting. I know, but what kind of a, a, a structure are you putting on top? I said, I'm not putting anything on top. It's just going to be netting, you know, shingles or metal? <laughs> netting. I'm not putting a roof because as soon as I put a roof, guess what? Cha-ching! Taxes go up. I mean, if you put a doghouse in, they go up, okay? That was her job. And that was, that's what his job was, his calling or his post. He was a publican. But he wasn't just a publican. The Bible says he was chief among the publicans. In other words, Zacchaeus had worked his way to this position. You don't work your way to be chief among the publicans unless you're what? A crook, a dishonest, and a wicked person. That's what he was. In other words, he was the receiver general in an area, okay? He was responsible with officers under him for raising taxes in his appointed district. That's what he did. And when a a subordinate would come unto him and say, well, we've got everything I can get out of this district, he'd say, what about the lady there in the corner? Yeah, but she's a widow and she hardly had, uh, listen, let me show you how it's done. Yeah, I I tried to get more, but she cried and gave me the sob story. Let me show you how it's done. Watch me and learn. Zacchaeus would go over and have a seat. Listen, lady, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to pay or we're taking your house. He didn't care what people thought. More money for him. That's what he thought. By the way, you have to understand the day and age in which this is. This is under Roman rule. If you don't want to follow what Zacchaeus told you, he'd send for a legion of Roman soldiers, and you were in trouble then. Okay? They were at his beck and command. He had the authority of Rome behind him. You say, why is that? Because they knew, listen, they didn't care how crooked he was because the more money he got, the more money they got. So they let him do whatever he wanted. The more crooked he was, the better they liked it. But he was respected in his town because he did have a position, whether you liked him or not. You think he had a nice house? I know he did. The Bible says here, it tells us what he was, his status physically, four words, and he was rich. He was rich. They knew where Zacchaeus lived. It was a nice place. The clothes he wore, you think they were nice? Oh, yeah. I was going to say his vehicle. He didn't have a vehicle. His camel. When you saw his camel in the marketplace and you were shopping, and the stuff hanging off the camel, and then, well, the camel, yeah, 
You see, you see Zacchaeus is right. That's important. That ain't even local. And that camel came from way over. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When they saw what Zacchaeus had, they knew what it was. They knew he was. He was rich. He was rich. His caliber, he was a rogue. Because he was wealthy and a tax collector, it made him a rogue, a dishonest, and a wicked person. That's what the Bible tells us about him. What about his status spiritually? Listen to me, don't miss this. He was blind. And he longed for the light. I'd never noticed that before. So what do you mean he longed for the light? Look what Zacchaeus is willing to go through to see Christ. I mean, all his riches, all his achievement in life, and he's not satisfied. By the way, it never brings satisfaction. Only Christ does. There is a hole, a spiritual hole in every person in this room that only Christ can fill. Only Christ. I never noticed this before. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, and he sought to see Jesus. What's the next three words? Who he was. Who he was. You see, in this day and age, they'd heard of Jesus. They knew who he was. Zacchaeus was in darkness, not physical blindness like Bartimaeus in the chapter before, but spiritual blindness, and Jesus had come to give him light. The problem today is people want Jesus to take care of their current dilemma, their situation. In that day, they would say, Jesus is in town. Come on, the guy that heals people, let's go watch and see what he can do. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, not for what he could do, but for who he was. What makes this man tick? What makes him do what he does? Zacchaeus is intrigued. Don't forget, don't forget who Zacchaeus is. He's a manipulator. He's a conniver. He's a person that looks at someone, and he's used to looking at them and figuring out what makes this person operate. Where would they put their money? Where would they invest? That's, that's his job. He's used to being in charge. He's the manipulator. He's the conniver. He's the one that stays in control of the situation. That's how he's got to the position he is. Don't forget that. So that's where he's at. And the Bible says, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was. What makes this guy do what he does? What's in it for him? What's in it for him? I love this. By the way, I'm convinced that there are many people in churches today that want Jesus to take care of their current problem and not Zacchaeus. No, he wanted to know who he was. He wanted to see Jesus. I love this. I love this because he not only wants to see him, but he makes a way to see him. He wants to see Jesus, but it takes little thought that Jesus will be looking for him. The whole reason Jesus is coming to town is for him. He has no idea. By the way, you may be visiting today. You came to take a look. You had no idea Jesus was looking for you. Oh, you think you're in charge of the situation. You're not. You're not. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. He not only wants to see him, he makes a way. The Bible says that he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. He wanted to see Jesus. He came to look on him, didn't know Christ would be looking for him. He makes a way to see him. He's too short to see over the crowd. The Bible says he was little of stature, so he climbs a tree. Now, we can't do anything about our stature. Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us he was a short man. Now, your pastor's not a short man. Your pastor's a tall man. He's taller than me. I'm six foot two. Dan's about six five. Right around there, right? Six four, somewhere in there, right? Zacchaeus is little. Nothing you can do about your, your height. Zacchaeus is one of those guys with little man syndrome. You know what I mean? He may be short in stature, but as far as, you know, muscle and whatnot, he's going to throw his weight around. But he can't do anything about his stature, can he? Not a thing. 
Don't forget, though, he's a conniver. He's a manipulator. He's going to make a way to see Christ. Look what he's willing to go through. It could have been when Jesus is going to pass by. I could get a look when the crowd so I can't see. You know, it's not really worth it. I mean, how, how bad do I need to see him? Oh, no. He's going to see him. He's going to make a way to see him. He's going to connive. He's going to manipulate. What can he do? Wait a minute. He has to pass this street. This is where I live. This is where I'm at. He has to go down Main Street. He has to pass this spot. There's a sycamore tree there. I'll go ahead. I'll climb the tree. When he comes along, I'll get a look at him. No one will be the wiser. They'll just keep going, and I still will get a look. He's in charge of the situation, so he thinks. I love this. I love this. We've looked at the city of Jericho. The chief tax collector, that's Zacchaeus. Number three, let's look at the Christ. Here we see Jesus, perfect evidence of what Christ should be doing. That's his father's business. Verse 10 tells us he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the word lost here by definition means without God. And he has come on this very special day to bring God to Zacchaeus, to bring illumination to him. I want you to get the picture. Don't miss this. Maybe you've heard the story a million times. Stay with me on this. This is good. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before. Ran. He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Don't miss it now. Here's Zacchaeus. He runs, gets up in the sycamore tree. He's waiting. The Bible doesn't tell us if he's holding on to a limb like this, if he's straddling the limb like this, if he's holding his foot against just... But he's in a position where he's in the tree. He's looking down. There's a big opening there. He's waiting for Jesus to come. And just like he connived, just like he manipulated, here Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to this place... And he stops. Perfect. Zacchaeus said, I couldn't have planned it better. So that's him. He doesn't look any different than any other person. There's no beauty that I should desire him. The Bible says so. Hmm. What makes this man do what he does? He does look gentle. He does look kind. Hmm. Zacchaeus is taking it all in. The disciples, I'm sure, have no idea why Jesus stopped. Maybe Jesus is getting a breath of air. Maybe he's pausing because people thronged him. The Bible already said the press was around him. Other passages of Scripture talk about, remember Jesus said, who touched me? Lord, are you kidding me? We're like sardines in a can. What do you mean who touched you? We're all touching each other. We can't. I mean, they're keeping people back from Jesus just so he can breathe. Jesus pauses. And then he looks up. See, Zacchaeus has no idea that Jesus came to look for him. Now, Zacchaeus could have thought that he just perchance saw him. Could be. Jesus paused and all of a sudden looks up and there's a man there. This is what I found fascinating because I hadn't thought of it before. Zacchaeus is in perfect control. He thinks he's in control of the situation. He's the conniver. He's the manipulator. Here he is. Jesus pauses and stops, gives Zacchaeus a good look. Jesus pauses and all of a sudden Jesus stops and looks up. Now, what happens when Jesus looks up? Everyone else looks up. Well, they know who Zacchaeus is. So Zacchaeus is looking down at everybody. Here's what hit me that I thought was comical. What excuse can Zacchaeus give for being in a tree? (laughs) He's chief among the publicans. Why would he be in a tree? How's it going? Good to see you. I lost my cat. What's he going to say? Why is he in a tree? You see, I don't think it was till then that Zacchaeus realized the hole that was in him. Well, look what he had went through and gone through just to get a look at Christ. 
he still thinks he's in charge of the situation. He thinks, he spotted me. Great. Now what do I do? Until he says the next words. Zacchaeus. How does he know me? He had no idea. That's the reason he came. If you're here today without Christ, the reason he came and died was for you. It was for you. Now he has to make a decision here. I love this part. He calls him by name, Zacchaeus. Look what it says. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. So he tells him, hurry and come down. In other words, don't hesitate. Here, Zacchaeus has to humble himself in obedience to Christ's command. Think about it. He said, make haste and come down. Zacchaeus could have said, excuse me? Do you have any idea who I am? You can walk around and heal whoever you want. You don't tell me what to do. It's a free country. I mean, you didn't make this tree. Well, you did, but he don't know that, right? I don't have to come down. In other words, don't miss this. He has to humble himself and come down. You're here without Christ today. Listen to me. You don't come to Christ unless you humble yourself and come down. That's the only way you come to Christ is in humility, not in pride. Not in pride. He has to humble himself and be obedient to what Christ says. I love this. He does so. The Bible says, verse 6, and he made haste and came down. Look at verse number 5. I love what it says here. He says, make haste and come down. Listen, for today I must abide at thy house. That grabbed me. I began to really study those words. The word abide here means, I mean, why didn't he say, Zacchaeus, I'd like to visit you today at your house. Zacchaeus, I'd like to have a meal with you at your house. Zacchaeus, I'd like to see your family, meet them today at your house. He didn't say that. He said, I must abide at thy house. The word abide here, listen to what it means. It means to stay, to tarry, to remain, to endure for another person's sake forever. He said, preacher, he's not going to move into his house forever. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And notice he didn't say, I'd like to abide or I want to abide. He said, I must abide. I began to study the word must. Guess what it means? The word must here means to be so bound or obligated even unto death to accomplish a task. Christ said, Jack Hughes, you have no idea. You don't understand. I must go to your house. I must. I thought, preacher, is there another place in Luke where Jesus said, I must? Must. Listen carefully. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. Chapter 24, verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Listen to me, church. The same resolve that Jesus Christ had in going to the cross was the same resolve he had in visiting Zacchaeus that day. That's how much you want to see him. You're here without Christ and you're lost, you're on your way to hell, you're in darkness and you're not in the light. It's not that Jesus would like to save you. He must. That's the longing in him. That's the longing in him. You have no idea what Jesus went through to save you and how much he wants you to be saved. No idea. No idea. What happens? The conclusion, what takes place? And he made haste and came down and received him 
joyfully. Zacchaeus receives Christ. He receives him hurriedly into his house. He receives him joyfully into his heart. You say, preacher, how do you know he became a Christian? It says right there, receive him joyfully. So well, that, that don't mean salvation. Yes, it does. Last time I checked, joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Lost man can't have joy. He can have happiness, but he can't have joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit right there. He received him joyfully. And then notice, there's evidence, there's proof from his repentant lifestyle. Look what he does. Of course, you have mockers and murmurs that say he's going to be guest with a man that's a sinner. I love that when you see somebody. I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. Well, one more won't hurt. Come on, you know. <laughs> it's true. I don't go to church. There's sinners there. Welcome. You know, you'll fit right in. Yeah. We're all sinners, right? They said, listen, he's going to be a guest with a man that is a sinner, like they weren't, right? Look what it says in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood. In other words, Zacchaeus doesn't give evidence of his new Christianity by saying, Lord, can I talk to you a second? I've been some shady things in my life. I'm going to make all that right. That's not what it says. It says he stood. What's that mean, preacher? He makes a proclamation, a declaration to those that are around. Uh, announcement, announcement. He's going to say something. What does he say, preacher? What does he do? He says, listen, he stands and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Now, I began to study that. I want to know why. Though he's a publican, now there's proof he's a Christian. He's penitent. He stands before the Lord. He makes a declaration. He shows repentance for his lifestyle. And he says, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Did you know that Jewish law, Jewish custom, said lawfully a rich man should give a fifth of his income to the poor to be thought well of in the community. A fifth. He says, I give half. I give half. He didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. Then it says, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Wow. I began to study that as well. Zacchaeus now makes restitution from anything collected unlawfully. He restores fourfold. Now again, my mind was already running. I thought, wait, why not threefold? Why not twofold? Why not fivefold? Why fourfold? We don't have the time to look there, but if you went all the way back to Exodus chapter 22, you would find out that, listen, fourfold is a restitution according to the law for a thief. Zacchaeus stood and said, you got me. I'm a thief. I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I receive you joyfully. That's salvation. Now what does it say? Jesus declares... This day has salvation come to this house. And he declares the reason he came to the earth to seek and to save that which was lost. It ties right back to John chapter 12. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You see, preacher, he was just wanting to go to Zacchaeus' house. He was, he was constrained by maybe God the Father. That word must abide. That just had to do with Zacchaeus. Oh no, John tells us. John tells us, listen, I am come a light in the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. He's willing to abide in you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every person. Preacher, you really believe he would have died just for me. I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. See, that's a problem today in churches. People think he died for everyone, but he died for me. There's the difference. Sure, he died for all of us, but he died for me. He died for you, have you made it personal? Because it is personal. It is personal. What about you, friend? Are you lost today? Verse 10 tells us the reason he came was to seek and to save you. Will you humble yourself as Zacchaeus and come down 
from your high ideas and philosophies of life, will you receive him joyfully as Zacchaeus did? He seeks all of us. He seeks those not worthy of seeking. He even seeks those that aren't seeking him. I don't know about you, but of all the people in that town, I wouldn't have went after Zacchaeus. But he did. By the way, if I was God, I wouldn't come after me. But he did. And he came after you. Hmm. If you let him today, he'll save you and deliver you from darkness to light. I have one more scripture and I'm done. You may be contemplating in your mind, preacher, I know what you're saying is true, but I've been in the darkness a long time. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to be saved. I, don't, I know it's my choice. I know Jesus died for me and was willing to give his life for me. I'm, I'm just not sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to it. This is what the Bible says. It's not what I say. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world, that's little g, that's Satan, that's not God the Father. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, listen, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Did you know Satan wants to keep you in the darkness? He does not want you to abide in the light. He wants to keep you abiding in darkness. He doesn't want you to come down from the tree and come to Christ and step in the light. Some of you may be there today. Put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. Sandals, maybe, right? Are you out there like he is out on a limb? Maybe you just need to get out of the tree today. Get out of the tree and come down. I've been up here a long time, preacher, and how's that working out for you? You're telling me right now there's not a hole inside of you, a spiritual hole that you've tried to fill and you can't fill. By the way, you can't fill it. Go ahead and try. You can try fame. You can try money. You can try. It's not going to happen. Only Christ fulfills. Only Christ fills. If you're here and you're lost in the darkness, you can be in the light today. You've got to choose it. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. Preacher, I've been in the light a long time. Maybe you've gotten over the fact that he was willing to save you. Have you forgotten what the darkness was like? He didn't have to save you. When do we come to the place as Americans especially? Christian Americans, we, we have this idea that it's my rights. Your rights are hell. That was your right. I want what's coming to me. Really? I don't. Praise God for grace and mercy. What was coming to me was hell. I don't want that. I don't want my rights. Praise God he stepped in and took my place. Are you here and you're saved and you've gotten over the fact that he took your place? You deserve to die. Took your place. He took your place. When's the last time you got on your knees and thanked him for that? Well, he knows. Really? God help us today. God help us today. We are hard-hearted people. We are cold-hearted people. We've forgotten the price that was paid for our salvation. Let's bow our heads together this morning.